0: And I'm calling this Church Defined Part One, The Who, not to be confused with the band of the 60s and 70s. When you think of the church, what comes to mind? What do you imagine, what do you picture when you think of the church? What, or even who, do you picture? For as long as I've been alive, the church has asked this question, as long as I've grown up in the church. Why do we see, why are there more and more young people leaving the church? In an interview with CPYU, Mark Matlock, a veteran, decades veteran in youth ministry, he shared some troubling statistics. In 2011, research from Barna concluded that out of the 83% of 18 to 29-year-olds who claim to be Christian, 11% of those had left the church. That was in 2011. As of 2019, seven years later, that same number doubled from 11 to 22%. So in less than a decade, twice as many young people had left the church. Again, this is research. These are surveys. There's a lot behind this. But those numbers should indicate something to us. In less than a decade, twice as many young people left the church. That was three years ago, by the way. That was in 2019. That's when the book was published where they had this research. Why is this happening? Why do we see so many young people leaving the church? Now, bear with me if you're like, wow, Jake, I was feeling good. It's a sunny morning, and you got to drop those numbers on me. Hang tight. I believe, though, that part of the reason is the church, we the church, have an identity crisis. Young people are starving to find an anchor for their soul to discover who they are. Um, I've quite frankly grown tired of how many people talk about identity, wanting to know their identity, et cetera, et cetera, just as much as I'm tired of hearing about anxiety. But I can't escape it. It's out there and it's getting louder and louder. Young people are thirsting and starving for relationships. Real relationships where there's camaraderie. One of the things that I loved about my mission trips in other countries is that I experienced a fellowship with people that was forged in fires that tested our faith in Jesus together. I tell you what, when you go to a Middle Eastern country in your early 20s, um, one of which, I'll just say this without dropping the name of the country, um, we got threatened at our dinner table one night. (laughs) This waiter said, if, we ever, if I ever see you again, I'll kill you. We're like, oh, not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> we were the only 10 believers that we hung out with for a month and a half in this country. And every day we go out all day meeting with people, starting conversations with folks, sharing the gospel with people who do not come from a Western mind frame. People who speak a different language, very different in many ways. And there was an oppressive nature to living in this country for that long and and doing ministry. But I tell you what, it bound us together. It tested our fellowship together. Together is the key word. Our identity is found in Jesus, and it's realized and experienced within his church, not apart from. That doesn't mean he doesn't call us individually but once we start walking with them, we realize we're a part of something far greater than ourselves. The church, our identity being experienced and realized in the church, who is also empowered by his spirit. But how can we help coming generations discover who they are if we don't know who we are? Again, I ask, when you think of the church, what comes to mind? We've let the ocean currents of our culture confuse us over decades now. Instead of letting Jesus, his word, and the Holy Spirit define us, empower us, and anchor our souls in a wildly drifting culture. So Mark Matlock said this in the same interview, we can't become what we can't define. Jesus never referred to his church as a hospital, as a hotel, an institution, organization, Never referred to us as a revolution, much less a movement, and I've heard all of those descriptors of the church. And I'm not here to uh, disparage anyone who's used those those terms. I have. But how does Jesus define His church? Because that's really the bottom line, right? W- would you turn with me over to Matthew 16? We're going to start in verse 15. This comes after Jesus fed the 4,000, and this comes after the Pharisees test Jesus. Not for the last time, but they tried again. Show us a sign. He's like, I just multiplied a bunch of food, and we've got leftovers. Was that not good enough for you? I think of the movie Gladiator from 1999, Russell Crowe. He's thrown into this uh, horrible event called the gladiatory games, and after he just slaughters his enemies, he goes, are you not entertained? Jesus is going, Pharisees, what more do you need? If you don't believe the words I speak, at least believe the things I do. But again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, not by what we see. So here in Matthew 16, verse 15, Jesus said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? After he asked them, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Jesus says, who do you say that I am? That's always the question that he asks us. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So... You Bible students know that the word church in Matthew 16, 18 is ekklesia in the Greek, and it's made up of two words. Ek, meaning out of, and kaleo, meaning to call. The church is made up of people that Jesus has called out of this world. Called out. This might be edgy for some. He didn't call us to be relevant to the world. He called us out of the world. We need to remember that. If you're hearing this for the first time, I just said it, this is what Jesus said. He's calling you out. If this is the first time you're hearing this, Jesus is calling you out to be a part of him. So what does it look like to be part of Jesus? That's really what I want to get into. 1 Peter 2.9, Peter, the same guy who said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He writes in 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim, preach the excellencies of him who has called you out of this present darkness into his marvelous light. He's, he died on the cross not to just look like a martyr. He did it for an express purpose so that he could give to us what we could never have on our own, so that he could transfer us from the domain of darkness. And let me ask you, does this, feel, this world feel dark or what? He did it to transfer us out of this horrid, dark world into his kingdom of light. For you were once not a people, you had no identity, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here's your first point, and I was sharing this with Cam last night. I'm not much of a points guy, um, in a lot of ways, <laughs> but the church is not a what. The church is a who. Let's make that very clear. I know for most of us, especially here in the sanctuary, that's clear. But you know, there've been many times, and I've shared this before, when my <laughs> I'd get in trouble or I'd make a faux pas, and my dad would talk to me much longer than I wanted to listen. And when I got older, he goes, "You." you think you know what I'm gonna say next? And I go, yeah, he goes, all right, tell me. And I tell him, he goes, you're right. I'm like, aha, that's the end of this discussion. And then he goes, then how come you're not doing it? <sighs> I got nothing to add, continue. We need to remember that what we read today goes beyond intellectual information. This has to be true in our lives. It has to be real. That was the difference between the Pharisees and the scribes and Jesus. They knew by memorizing the word of God down to the punctuation. But it says when Jesus got up to speak and teach, he spoke with one who had authority. This was personal. Is God's word personal to us? Is who he made us according to his word personal? Do, have we embraced that identity according to what he says about who we are? So the church is not a what, the church is a who. Paul shows us in Ephesians five twenty-eight. Why marriage is specifically and carefully and strictly designed. This is God. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. In a, in a culture that's telling us you got to love yourself, you got to love yourself. That's not what the Bible teaches, right? He says love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself, and that's it. What about me? Your neighbor will love you. God loves you. You don't need to love yourself. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. This mystery is great, Paul says, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Marriage represents Jesus' relationship with the body of his people, the church. Here's a second point, if you're taking notes. The church is Jesus' bride. And so we can't love Jesus and loathe his bride. There's a whole lot of love for Jesus and a lot of hatred for his bride. I've said this a lot within the last year, but anyone who wants to be my best friend and then hates my own wife, not only are we not going to get along, not only will you not be my best friend, you and I will probably have words in the church parking lot. (laughs) What's interesting here, and this just hit me, is more often than not, and I have unfortunately played into this, we treat Jesus' body more like our governmental body. It's a big, massive aisle down the middle with two opposing sides. Are we functioning as the body of Christ or are we letting the culture of this world dictate, indicate, influence how we function with each other? Are we letting the culture influence the way we perceive each other? Are we letting God's word and who Jesus is help us to see each other the way he says we are? Do we love Jesus? I'm sorry, do we love who Jesus loves? Do we love the church like Jesus does? Bearing in mind, Jesus died a hor- horrific death of suffering for us. Is there anybody that you can think of that you would probably think twice about doing that for in the church? Lord knows I've had people like that. What people or situations makes it hard for you to love Jesus? What people or situations makes it hard for you to love Jesus' church the way he does? I have heard many times people out of my own family growing up find out, wow, this, these family members haven't been to church in decades, which, by the way, you don't go to church <laughs> You're part of the church. You're either in or you're out, but it's not something you necessarily go to. Do we love the church the way Jesus does? Let's go ahead and preface here with 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Would you turn there with me? 1 Corinthians 12. I'm not going to really expound too much on the first ten verses, but it gives us some context, some background to understand the rest. Now concerning spiritual gifts, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, Brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation, the, the revealing of the Spirit for the common good. That was the problem in the Corinthian church. They were exercising or attempting to exercise God's spiritual gifts For themselves, to promote themselves, to position themselves. But food for thought, if we're walking by the Spirit, if we have the Spirit of Christ living in us and he's producing fruit, what tree cannibalizes its own fruit? A tree produces fruit and when someone else comes by, they benefit from the fruit coming out of the tree. Just keep that in mind as we explore what it means to be the church. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another, or discerning of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues, What leaps off to me in these first 10 verses is the word same. Same, over and over. Various kinds, but the same spirit. Different kinds, same spirit. Paul writes in the second chapter of his letter to the church in Philippi, verse 1, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, let me stop there. Do you feel encouraged in Jesus? What does your joy look like these days? If there's any consolation or comfort of love, if there is any fellowship of his spirit, if any affection and compassion, here it is, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, and of equal significance, Deuteronomy 6:4 immediately comes to my mind, and I think I've already said it. Hear, O Israel, kids, remember this one, the Shema? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And I hold up three fingers intentionally. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. The believers of Jesus cannot be divided or independent because our God is not. There's a lot of independence. Les just shared this Wednesday night. Um, it's interesting, wherever you go in the world, when you meet up with the church, wherever you go, you, you get different flavors and different tastes. There's a very different flavor up here in the Northwest, especially on these islands, than what I'm used to growing up in the southern San Joaquin Valley of California. It's not, one's not better than the other, they're different. Just like when I went to Turkey, the church there was the same, but different. We had a common bond, but there was a difference. I want to just emphasize this again. If our God, according to Deuteronomy 6, is not an independent or divided God, and we are his body, we represent him, is there division among us? Again, do we look more like the Hall of Congress these days, or do we look more like the body of Christ? Do we function with the sameness and fellowship with each other the way our Father in Heaven does? Where in life do we struggle to be united within his church? When we truly know our identity as his children, we'll be a church that doesn't shun each other, isolate from each other, or, and this, I, this one I hate just because I'm not a competitive guy, we don't compete with each other. One is not better than the other, as we're about to see. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. We will fight for our unity as a family. That makes our Father's joy complete when we fight to maintain unity, to stick up for one another, to stay together with one another. I find this teaching that God laid on my heart very interesting in light of some of the things I've been hearing He's been doing in our fellowship, and I mean in a good way. Um, Yesterday, my wife, the director of children's ministry, held a training for the volunteers, and I know a number of you here are some of those. And she did something um, that, that helped everyone come together as a body. They took time to affirm each other, not with superlatives, not, oh, Jake, you're such a handsome guy. <laughs> uh, I love the shirts that you wear on Sunday. They spoke, each of them in the children's ministry spoke to the character of one another. The things that they had observed others doing in caring and serving and teaching our kids. Cam said, hardly a, there was hardly a dry eye by the end of it. And there was such a fellowship, a tight-knit bond. There's camaraderie there. Is there camaraderie in the church we live in? Do we, do I have camaraderie with fellow Christians? Paul says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. The same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 11 with me now. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. And I emphasize that. For even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body... Though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. So I've already alluded to it, but this letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian Christians, the Corinthian church, was motivated out of a deep concern because of internal fighting. And this internal fighting came as a result of confusion and corruption in their fellowship. Pose another question. For all of us, is there any confusion and corruption in our fellowship? Whether it be here at the bridge, those of you who maybe are in another state, who fellowship, who attend or are a part of a church body somewhere else, is there any confusion or corruption? Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.10, I urge you, brothers, by, this, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but yet that you may be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. There's that word again, same. I opened up just talking about uh, the state of the church regarding young people. Man, young people these days want to be part of something where there's unity. In a world that is exp- at an exponential rate being fractured, torn, torn asunder, they're looking for some stability in their life with other people. The church should be the most stable, united group of people on the face of this planet. So people were jockeying for position in this church fellowship, in the the Corinthian church. The New Bible Commentary gives some historical background. It says that the disciples of a secular teacher, disciple means pupil, student, learner, follower, had to give exclusive loyalty to said mentor. Traditionally, they engaged in quarrels and rival students over the merits of their mentors, their mentors, who were also, by tradition, jealous of each other. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 1:12. "Each one of you says, "I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, Peter, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? But by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Ephesians 2 8 through 9. By grace through faith, we've been saved, not of ourselves, so that no one can boast. No one can boast. Disciples are students of their teacher, okay? Who are we learning from and following? Again, the Corinthian believers back then, many of them were, who were Gentiles, you see the influence and the infusion of a pagan world system and mentality bleeding into the way they function as Jesus' body, as his church. And Paul goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not supposed to interact with each other the way the world does. You're not supposed to interact with each other the way you used to think. Uncooperative disciples of Jesus make fellowship feel funky. Right? Have you ever been in that situation? I have. When so-called Christians who were supposed to be filled with the love of God are uncooperative with each other, It feels gross. You're you're looking for the exit door. Where can I get out of this group? Because this doesn't feel very good. It's what we call a dysfunctional family. And the Lord tells us the reason for this dysfunction in James 4, 1. This actually Hillary brought up at our staff meeting. Man, I know that you've heard it before. Sometimes I wish everyone could get a little taste of what we get in staff meeting. It's not because the staff is anything better. One thing that I believe is the reason for what we experience as a staff, obviously, the Spirit. But we meet together every week, all the time. It's a regular thing. And one reason the staff has grown together is really out of uh, a a fight or flight issue. If we as a staff don't work together to accomplish a mission, it will not work. It will crumble. Things will fall apart. What unites us? The Spirit of God intent on one purpose. And trust me, (laughs) we on staff don't always agree with each other. But at the end of the day, we know at the end of the day, when we're fighting this spiritual battle, we got each other's six. We're shoulder to shoulder. At the end of the day, no matter how much I agree or disagree with a brother or sister, they're my brother or sister. They're not my enemy. And I'm not theirs. Here's the issue. Why is there confusion and corruption in the Corinthian church? James 4.1, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. You lust and don't have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Again, Hillary brought this up regarding what we were talking about. It was actually a really encouraging conversation. (laughs) Um, But I have this in my notes because of what my sister brought up in staff. There were many in Jesus' day who presumed to be wise leaders, Pharisees and scribes as the foremost, and they assumed positions of honor among God's people. But check this out. In James 3.13, James gives us what true wisdom looks like. What are some mile mark or measurings of what wisdom really looks like? If someone says they're wise or people say this person's full of wisdom, what does their character look like? Who among you, James writes in 3.13, is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds. Okay, yeah. In the gentleness of wisdom. Wisdom is gentle. There's a lot of people who claim to be wise and they're anything but gentle, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. There's a lot of talk of ambition. According to James, according to God's word in James 3.14, I never see ambition promoted as something good in the Bible. We have a culture that's all about struggling and striving and pursuing your ambitions. And that's never the message I see in his word. Where do these quarrels and fights come from? Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. Because, verse 16, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Les said this uh, a number of times, and it's kind of one of those things, I'm sure if any one of you has uh, spent any time with Les, there are things he'll say and you go, okay, logically that makes sense. It's kind of uncomfortable or it's kind of strange to me, I don't know if I would do that, but yeah. And it's Les, I mean, I can't can't disagree with Les. (laughs) That's like hobbits disagreeing with Gandalf, that's ridiculous, you don't do that. He's the wise sage, so I don't get it, but sure, okay, Les. He said this. I'm going to use both of you because you've shared this. Here's some practical tool in marriage. If you find you and your wife or you and your husband are at odds, let me ask you, have you ever been in a conversation that turns into an argument and it seems like you have nothing against your spouse and they have nothing against you, but no matter how much you talk, It just seems like the channels are mixed up, and you you can't seem to communicate what's in your heart and your mind correctly to them. Whenever you talk, they get offended by it, and then they react, or vice versa. What's going on here? And Les Les shared this with me, and this has been something that I've slowly (laughs) practiced in my life. Selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, If there's disorder going on in your relationship with your husband or wife, stop. And I'm gonna quote less. You probably have an unwelcome guest. There's, There's a good chance a spiritual entity is trying to ruin and break down the communication. If there's disorder, confusion, which leads to corruption, then you start treating each other wrong, and then all manner of the flesh starts to manifest itself, stop and pray together. You bring yourself under the authority of God who made you, two to be one flesh. And if he's at the center of it, there is no room for an outsider to come in to divide, to cause dissension. There was jealousy and selfish ambition in the Corinthian church, which is why their fellowship was dysfunctional, which is why their fellowship was disruptive. And in some cases, it was even diseased. There were some who were passing away, because of the dysfunction that led to all kinds of impurity and immorality. Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus, chapter 4, verse 17. This I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer the way people separate from Jesus and the world walk. The Bible says Gentiles. In the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding because of hardness of their heart we rely way too much on this and we don't surrender and subject this to his heart when we do that the soul gets into its proper place Jesus is the logos of God he's the Word of God it's his logic we need to live by not by our own understanding right Proverbs 3 5 tells us that this is not a new thing this is in his old and new Covenant But because of the hardness of their heart, they're darkened in their understanding. Not because they don't have enough information or intellect. Verse 19 says, having become callous, they have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. It's self-centered. Paul says this in Ephesians 4, 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way. Let me ask us all a question. Think back through your life. How have you learned Christ in your life? How we perceive the church right now is based off of our experience and our understanding from the word. I've been in more than one church fellowship, as most all of us have. What have you learned over the years? Did you learn Christ according to his word or did you learn a different way a way that's not consistent with his word about who the church is and how the church functions do you understand Jesus and his church the way God's word defines us and here's your next point a church divided i'm sorry a divided church misrepresents the mind of Christ think about that for a second when we're divided We misrepresent, we show a Christ whose mind is divided when we're divided. Think about that. Is Jesus, is is his mind torn in different directions? Is he divided? 1 Corinthians 2.16 teaches that disciples of Jesus have the mind of Christ. But when we're divided from each other because of jealousy and selfish ambition, it makes Jesus Hear me out. It makes Jesus appear to be worried. Can you imagine going through the Bible, reading the Gospels, and reading about a Jesus being anxious, full of anxiety all the time? Now, he's not. We see that from the Gospels. But again, if we are the body, does the world see Jesus' hands when they look at us? Do they see Jesus' feet do we pursue after the things that Jesus cares about? Do we accurately represent the heart of our Savior, our Lord? Jesus is not worried and Jesus is not anxious, but when we conduct ourselves as a body of people in a divisive, divided, confused way, it sure doesn't make, look, make Jesus look good to the rest of the world The reason I say this is because the word Jesus uses in Matthew 6.25 for worry, he says, do not be worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. That word worry is the same word that Paul uses in Philippians 4.6. And some of you already know where I'm going because I've been sharing this word with others. Because as of this last year, I had a reckoning. I told you in the begin- beginning of this message that um, I'm tired of hearing talk about anxiety, identity, be, be your true self and all this stuff. I'm, I'm kind of a crusty curmudgeon. I'm, I'm 36 going on 86. I'm like, come on, you're a man. Act like a man. But I started to realize this, uh, this last year, Jake had some serious anxiety. Well, what is anxiety? What is anxiety? It comes from a Greek word, merimnao. Merimnao, two words. Meridzo, which means to divide, and Naos, the mind, literally a torn or divided mind. Now, 1 Corinthians 2.16 says we have the mind of Christ. Do we act according to the authority and the unity that God says He's given us? Do we act as a body like we're divided, or we're one cohesive unit? Now, Again, I'm not saying that Jesus is anxious or worried, but what blows me away is how Jesus, his love is so humble, he chooses to yoke himself to us, messed up sinners, and then he saves us by his grace, and then he's patiently saving us, renewing our minds, Romans 12, 1 through 2. Because of the mercies of God, brothers, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a wave offering so that you may know what the will of God is. Let your, don't be conformed to the world, but by the renewing of your mind, renewal, it means a total overhaul, a deconstruction of the old, and a complete ground up rebuilding of something new. And we all have things in our life, our understanding, the way we perceive things, that need to be remodeled, deconstructed and built anew. Not to, sound like I'm a disciple of Les, but I do learn a lot from our brother. And Les has been saying this lately, we're in process. So whether you've been following Jesus for 50 years or five months, we're all in process. So I also wanna be clear, because I know some of the things I'm saying sound maybe hard for some of us to, to listen to. I am not disparaging or on my own trying to convict the church. Les again this morning said Jake the things that you're going to teach do you believe this? I've been having to wear this stuff I'll be honest there are some brothers and sisters love them I want the best for them but you know my life would be easier if they lived in another country (laughs) now there's some laughs yeah you know what I'm talking about because you go through the same thing love them want the best for them over there Lord, here am I, send them away. <laughs> I've, I've remarked also with our sister Eva, because I have lived long enough, I've grown up in the church, I gave my life to Jesus when I was six, the Lord has continued to grow my heart for his people, the church. But I tell you what, I have lived long enough to, to see some really sad, painful things, and I've gone through myself being experienced by being hurt by others in his family. And then I had to wrestle through and process through something I tried to deny, and that was, I'm not resentful, I don't hold any bitterness, I'm not, I'm not judging people, and then they walk across me and bam, there goes the reel in my head. It is a process, and you know what, for that matter, it's not just, oh, Jake's been a victim to people in the church who've hurt him. I have hurt people, knowingly and unknowingly. Again, why? Selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, that's in our sin nature. It needs to be sanctified. But again, if we function as the body of Christ in a divided way, we make Jesus look divided. We make Jesus look crazy. What happens to someone who is overwhelmed with anxiety? Their body starts to malfunction quite literally. They break down is that the way we want to represent the one who saved us, who loved us, redeemed us, sanctified us, made us into a kingdom of priests? So another reason we see young people leaving the church is because instead of actually modeling Christ, who Jesus says of himself in Matthew 11:29, 29, that he is gentle and he is humble of heart, we end up modeling jealousy and harshness towards each other. Instead of modeling and teaching gentleness and humility, we model and teach jealousy and harshness. And again, I am guilty of doing that. I'm not perfect. And that's not an excuse. Am I passing, I have it written in my notes, are we passing on a faith? I have had to wear what I'm sharing with you very personally. Am I passing on a faith to my son Judah and my daughter Ezra? that offers them rest from anxiety? Do they see the faith of Cam and I functioning in a way that invites them and encourages encourages them with compassion? Do they see a faith that frees them from anxiety, releases them from worry, and imbues them with a compassionate camaraderie? If I see a brother or sister stumbling and falling, am I quick to go, what are you doing? You know what, I'll be honest. There are too many times, more times than I would like to recount, where my son will do something different than the way I thought. And I go, Judah, what are you doing? And I start to get real snappy, and Cam goes, Jake. I'm like, what? That didn't make any sense. Why are you doing that? Hey, I'm talking to you. Come here. Now, many of you, fortunately, have seen me long enough to know that I'm not perfect, but there are some who are like, you know, it's Jake. He pastors our students, and He serves in the church, and he's a godly young man. My family sees me, warts and all, and I have to ask myself, am I passing on a faith? Do I communicate by the way I live and function with all of you what the church truly looks like to my kids? Because if they grow up watching a dad who preaches one thing and practices another, that's hypocrisy. They'll want nothing to do with it. Nothing. That's okay. I'm out. I'll go find something else. Because people want to be a part of a family. But raise your hand if you've ever, growing up or currently, been to a friend's house and you watch the family and they're always making snide, snarky remarks and they say things that kind of cut each other. Or you can, as you, soon as you walk into the house, you feel like you could cut the air with a knife because there's so much tension. Have you ever been in one of those homes? I, I have. Come over to hang out with my friend and then I come in and I go... Oh, look at the time. i got to go home. Jake, you just got here. I know. I don't want to be here anymore. Are we passing on a faith that offers rest from anxiety? Are we passing on a faith that models, demonstrates, and invites people to a compassionate camaraderie? Are we passing on a a faith that offers a humble, peaceful fellowship and a loving family? James 5.16 says this, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. So that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man or woman can accomplish much. I heard that last part of the verse many times growing up, but it's that first part that's really hard. And I found, let, let me just be frank, I found that first part of the verse really hard up here in the Northwest. Now, again, I experience things down in California with its own flaws within the church, but up here there is such a die-hard mentality of individual isolationism. I came up here from California looking for fellowship with brothers and sisters, but especially brothers. It took me three years before I finally found a group of guys that I could connect with. Three years! There's something wrong with that. And then when you finally get your, your huddle, your group, man, nobody else can come in because that will disrupt the dynamic. Hey, we like you, but you're not in this group. That's, what I, that's one thing I've witnessed and experienced up here. Let me also say this, since some of you were like, this is California guy talking to us Northwesterners. Let me qualify this. I was talking with my wife, who is a Pacific Northwest girl, North Idaho. Woohoo! beautiful place. <laughs> sometimes, and I learned this, this is one way I learned Christ growing up because of the culture down there. It's warmer culture, warmer culture, warmer people, right? Well, to a degree. I also found out from Josiah, they have kind of the same kind of mentality over in Wisconsin. It's this face, fake niceness. How are you? Oh, good, da-da-da, and inside, or they, they, they turn around and go, and then they start talking about you behind your back. They act like everything's good, everything's gravy. Everything's sweet. Down in California, there was this superficiality where people are, hi, yeah, awesome. Now I know you think, California, you mean LA, road rage? Not all of California's like that. I'm from Bakersfield. It's got more in common with West Texas than it does with California. And people are quick to go, hey, yeah. I come up here and I go, you know, I'm thinking coming to a small community, howdy neighbor. (laughs) And instead of, hey, you know, the cheer song, Everybody knows your name. Instead, I get looks like, what is your problem? Or, that guy is definitely high on drugs. I'm just going to walk over here. I'm like, I just, I'm just saying hi. I'm just asking, how are you? And I got into the practice down in California because I had recognized there was such a superficiality. People would, you know, we say to each other, how are you? I remember more than once walking by someone on the street or on the college campus and someone go, hey, how are you? And I'd go, do you mean that? <laughs> uh, they can't say no, they'll look like a jerk. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm like, well, I won't take up your time, but this is what's going on in my day. How about you? How's your day? And I have had many opportunities where, where I get to share the gospel because I just get real. I don't want to just know what they're going through. What does he say in James 5, 16? Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. There's got to be humility in the fellowship of the church. Our children, let me ask this. Are our children watching us pray for each other with sincere, humble love? And do they see us humbly receiving prayer and help from others? who also belong to Christ. You know, it's one thing for me to offer to pray for someone else. It's another thing for me to accept that offer. In James 5, 17, he continues, Elijah was a man like us, and he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Are we modeling practical and powerful faith to our friends and family? Moving on to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and I need to pick up the pace. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. What church, let me ask you this, answer this in your own head, what church were you baptized in? Was it Catholic? Was it Baptist? (laughs) wham, they just like plunge you and then some people hold you longer than you want to be under the water. Was it Presbyterian? Was it Lutheran? Were you baptized in a reformed church? Assembly of God? Foursquare? I say this in all humility because I have been a part of other denominational churches. I fully believe the reason for denominations is because of the division in the body of Christ. And we don't get off scot-free as a bridge because we're a non-denominational. We're subject to the same flaws and failures. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're not baptized into the Baptist church. We're not baptized into the Catholic or the Reformed church. And one thing I've loved at the bridge is our diversity. I remember walking into the bridge at the barn and going, whoa, this is different. Not only do they meet in a barn, but I feel like I'm at a UN council. I'm up in the Northwest where everyone's white, but then I come into this barn and we got kids representing every single nationality. This is different, this is cool. The bridge has a lot of diversity. We pull from a lot of different traditions and backgrounds. From peculiar Pentecostals and blustery Baptists to (laughs) crusty Catholics, rigid reformers, and lethargic Lutherans, and even patiently passive Presbyterians. Now, I shared, I didn't tell my wife I was going to say that. She's like, you want want to be careful. You don't want to come off, you know, judgmental because she's gentler and sweeter than I am, which clearly means she's got more wisdom than I do. I come from, before I came up here, I was at a Southern Baptist church, So I wear this with you, regardless of whatever church tradition you come from. But Jesus says that if we're his people, we're baptized into one church, his church. So what are we drinking these days? What does he say at the end of verse 13? We were all made to drink of one spirit. What are we drinking these days? What are we satisfying our souls on? Is it the cultural Kool-Aid, whether it be Fox or Facebook or Instagram and CNN, many are spun up on the anxious, anxious sensationalism of today's news. Instead of being captivated by Jesus and his spirit, are we filling up on the, on the fellowship of his spirit together? Spirit and word, and I say that to people who right now are filling up on him together, and I thank you for being with me this morning. It'd be really awkward if I was just looking at a camera. I've been there. I've done that. I don't like that. If all the members of Christ's body, regardless of traditions, will drink from the same spiritual source, then we'd have the faith needed to function together as his body. And that's your next point. The church is identified and covered by Jesus, not by Rick, not by Les, not by Hibbs, not by JD Farage. Name the pastor. 1 Corinthians 12, 15. Keep reading along with me, would you? If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason, any the less, a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason, any the less, a part of the body. For if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? I start to hear the twilight music in the back of my mind. One body, giant eyeball. Do, 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 do. If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Let's stop there. Rick posed an important question to us when we started our study through B'midvar, B'midbar, Bamidbar, the wilderness, the book of Numbers. He asked us, what's your calling? What's your calling? Now, let me make something clear. Don't confuse your calling with your gifting. They're not the same. However, well, before I get there, you might might already be asking yourself, how can I know what God's gifted me with? Rick's asked this. I've heard others talk like this. How do I know? I would answer that with a question. Where has Jesus called you to serve him? Moses didn't actually realize God's giftings in his life until he experienced God's calling in his life. Go back and read Exodus 3. We don't see Moses performing miracles. We see God calling him out, calling him to a specific purpose. That happened. Jesus, or Moses experienced what his gifts were when he began to eat and sleep and live with God's people. Otherwise, Moses would have continued just being a, an individual shepherd on the mountains in Midian. But we know about Moses because of what he did with the people of God. God called Moses out before Moses ever exercised gifts that God had given him. Moses didn't lead and serve Israel single-handedly either. He had Aaron, right? In Exodus 3, God says, I'm doing this. I've heard their cry, and you're my man. And Moses goes, are you sure? Okay, I'll prove it to you. And he gives him these signs. And Moses goes, I don't know. Then God does some more things supernaturally, and Moses finally goes, yes, no. He doesn't embrace his calling. God goes, fine, Moses, I am... Aaron, your brother is on his way. I'm gonna bring Aaron with you. I will put your words, my words in your mouth and then you will tell him what I tell you. Moses wouldn't have been the Moses we know without people that God surrounded him with. I need you. This is something, again, Sorry, Les. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. I've learned a lot of this over the last 10 years. This is one reason I believe people gravitate towards Les and Donna. Because for all their wisdom, they don't wear it on their sleeves like they're better. They're so humble. Godly wisdom. I remember Les saying this to me, Jake, I need you. I'm going, or or actually my my reaction was like, oh, yeah. Because a church kid, I'm like, well, that's the... That's the Bible answer. I need you. We need each other. We sing songs about that. Let me say up here, I need you. I really need you. My wife had training for children's ministry yesterday, and she was nervous about it. She always questions herself. I'm getting a stare right now. <laughs> she shared with me Friday night what, she was, what the Lord had given her to bring to uh, Saturday morning's training. And I'm like, Cam, that is so good. When she got here, I could go on and on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop some names. Jim Crouch, Shepherd of Children's, he showed up, and he showed up early, and he came alongside Cam to help her. And then there's, of course, Eva. She was there helping, make it, making it happen. And then um, we have a sister. Her name's Nicole, who... Cam was talking about hearing God. You know, it's one thing to read about God. It's another thing to hear him. And I know the moment I say that, that really makes some of you uncomfortable. And that's okay. Again, I come from a Southern Baptist background. Hearing God's a little, you know, Pentecostal. Well, again, what does his word say? I've got to embrace what he says, not what I think. And Cam was addressing this. Saul... Had been radically grabbed by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then God connected with a guy named Ananias. Ananias didn't read the Bible and go, huh, I think I need to go meet Saul. Ananias heard God. I want you to go meet with this guy. And because Ananias obeyed, he listened and then obeyed, we see Saul turn into Paul. If it weren't for Ananias obeying God, there would be no Paul. Where would the churches, of the letters to the Corinthians and Ephesus and Galatia be? And there are scores of people that Paul mentions at the end of his letter to Rome in Romans chapter 16. It was more than just Paul. This last week, I have remembered an old term. A lot of you have heard this. Teamwork makes the dream work. Whose dream are we living for? Are we living for our own? Am I... And I have made these mistakes where I have this vision of what I want to do in a certain ministry, and then I start to do it, and it's frustrating, and nobody gets on the same page with me, and God goes, is that what I asked you to do? (laughs) Oftentimes, without even knowing it, we bring our own ambition and our own agenda into the mix, and Jesus goes, that's not what I told you to do. Are you listening to me? Remember, Jesus is the head of the church. I need you. You need me. And we need each other. If we're not together, we can't be fit together. And if we're not fit together, we fall apart. Ephesians 4.16 teaches us that if we belong to Jesus, we are part of his body. Being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of Christ's body for the building up of itself in love. i got to share something with you guys again. This came out of our staff meeting this last week. Sorry, Eva, I'm putting you on the spot. Eva shared this from her past experience. She, before she worked here, she was a manager. She managed a doctor's office. And I put it in my own words, so correct me if I'm wrong, sis. Many folks who have joint pain tend to want to baby that injury. I, th- I think a lot of you have experience with that. I have. We get hurt and then we don't want to move it. Hurting? moves and so we don't move it yet in many cases and modern medicine has proven this over and over as painful as it may be it's movement that needs to be the very thing that happens when you get an injury man people now are coming in for a one or a round trip they go into the doctor's office and have something that used to take weeks to heal from same day you're out and what do they tell you don't push it but when you can start moving move move I know it'll be uncomfortable. It might be even painful, but you need to do it. See, because movement stimulates the rest of the body to recruit blood and fluids that carry essential oils, lipids and fats, et cetera, to lubricate that area, this movement of this hurting, affected area stimulates healing and strengthening. And because my sister shared that, bam, bam, The Spirit brought something to my mind, and I actually I think Hillary was pinging off the same thing. I heard that and I thought, wait, when the parts of the body don't move because of pain, it atrophies. When a part of the body doesn't move, it atrophies. It gets weak. It loses its strength. It loses its range of motion. And when that happens, it strains other parts of the body. For example... I sustained a pretty serious injury in high school playing football. I got an avulsion fracture in my left ankle. Nothing snapped, but the ligaments and tendons were torn so abruptly, so violently all at once, it actually pulled a chip of bone off my foot. It looked like a state puffed marshmallow from the ankle down. It was purple and black. Ooh, nasty. Anyway... It seriously affected me years later on a, a super ambitious hike I took. I, I can tell you the story if you want to hear it later. But I did a Trans-Sierra hike with a friend of mine um, with just food and water. We didn't camp out at all. We, took a, we ended up hiking 73 miles in 54 hours with four one-hour naps. My body was wrecked after that. But part of the reason it was so wrecked, I lost 10 pounds in 54 hours, and I couldn't gain it back for a month because that old injury From football days in high school, never got the proper treatment. It never healed the way it should have. And so I didn't know this until I got halfway into the hike, 35 miles in, into the Sequoia National Forest. My friend decides to tell me, you know, people die here every year. I'm like, thanks. Now you tell me. I didn't realize what I was getting into. Ignorance is not bliss, let me tell you. I lost mobility of my ankle and I didn't realize how it affected the rest of my body until I put some miles on that body in this hike. My left ankle doesn't move. It's not nearly as flexible as it used to be. It's a ball joint, so what happens? The rest of the body has to compensate for the lack of movement of one part. So what happens? Through the hike, my left knee starts to seize up. It gets stiff and it hurts really bad. So what compensates for its weakness? My hip, ankle bones connected to the knee bone, my hip starts to break down. This friend of mine, by the way, I was 23, he was 55. He moved like he was in his 20s. I moved like I was in my 80s with RA throughout my whole body. By the end of the hike, I was hiking like this. I looked like Frankenstein. Frankenstein, an interesting picture of different parts of the body put together in a monstrous way. Interesting. So... I learned something about my body that hike. When one part of my body suffers, all of it suffers. Maybe you've been hurt by people in the church. You're in good company. Me too. I have lived my life growing up in the church, I have experienced some pretty nasty things myself. But remember, Jesus refers to us as sheep, sheep bite. You know, get out of here. That's my patch of grass. Yeah, but the shepherd said (laughs) they bite, and we bite each other. You may have been hurt by people in the church. However, using what Jesus says about the body, going off the illustration I gave you from my own life experience, if you being hurt by people in the church is keeping you from moving in your faith, you're not hurting just yourself. You're hurting everyone else who's connected to you in his church. If we hold on to our hurts and we stop moving and growing and functioning in faith together as his church, our lack of mobility is going to weaken our faith and it will be worn by the rest of the body. And it hurts. You know, as much as I wish I didn't get hurt in football, this is just another example where God goes, I need you to go through this so that you understand who I am and you understand who my people are. It's going to benefit you in ways you don't understand yet, Jake. And I'm learning that now, decades later. We not only hurt ourselves when we stop functioning in faith, we hurt those who are connected to us, and we hinder the fellowship of Jesus' body from growing and moving. So going back to Eve's metaphor, when wounded members of the body stretch and move, it stimulates healing. The CNS, the central nervous system, which is connected to the brain, recruits bodily fluids and oils to nourish that member so it can heal, so it can restore to full health, and possibly be stronger than it was. Britannica Online says this about the synovial fluid in our joints. Functionally, it has two parts to play nutrition and lubrication. It can nourish the articulating part of the articulating cartilages. Knees, for example. The motion of the synovial fluid assists its nutritional function by distributing it over the articular articular surfaces from which it slowly passes into the interior of the cartilage. Eastern Mennonite University's chemistry department says this online. They, fats, Provide energy for living organisms. Fats and oils insulate body organs and transport fat soluble vitamins through the blood. Why am I talking about fat and oil? What does oil in God's Word represent? Bible students, Holy Spirit. But that Holy Spirit doesn't move into our crevices and flow among us and between us and in us unless we're moving. Leviticus 14 gives us a picture of oil that's used ceremonially for cleansing. James 5.14 says, Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders, we call them shepherds here, of the church, and they are to pray over him or her, anointing them with oil, In the name of the Lord. Rick has said this before. First Thursday of every month, shepherds get together and meet. If there is something ailing you in your life, whether it be physical, mental, spiritual, come. Let us know, and we will make sure. That's why shepherds are here to serve to the ministry of the word and prayer. We want to pray with you, we want to pray for you. Isaiah 61, verse 1 says, tells us gives us prophecy of Jesus being anointed with the oil of the Spirit. Why? To heal, proclaim, to rescue, and to strengthen lives. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You know. I won't read it right now. I encourage you to go check it out. But that's the Holy Spirit, oil to the body of Christ. Since the Holy Spirit is the oil for our life, When we're functioning by his power, his spirit flows in us and between us as the members of his body. Someone that said this at our staff meeting. You know, what happens when you take cartilage or lubrication out from joints? They grind on each other. It's a painful experience. You need that buffer. You and I are meant to be fit together as part of his body. But if we're not walking by the Spirit, man, I'm going to chap your hide. I'm going to tick you off, and probably vice versa. We need his Spirit as his body. His Spirit animates us. His Spirit inspires our lives to function together in harmony by his power. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. By his peace, the Holy Spirit is peace. If you're still wondering what your calling is, then remember this. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He called Moses first. If you're in this fellowship and you love showing up Wednesday and Sunday, but that's the extent of it, I'm not here to put you down. I'm inviting you and encouraging you to find how you might serve within this fellowship because I'll go back to something I said before. I need you. We need each other. Don't hold out on me. You got something I need, and I'm never going to experience it unless you're doing your part. And, yeah, I won't even say what I was going to say. Holy Spirit, whoop, (laughs) Put put a hand over my mouth. He's calling us out. That's the church, called out. He's calling us out. Will we choose to follow him in what he's telling us? This is why being able to hear the Spirit of God is so imperative to life. This is what Pastor Les has been sharing and teaching. Our faith in Jesus must be practically powerful. And it has to function together in the fellowship of his body. If you want to know and experience his calling in your life, get with the program. Move your body. Move your part of the body. Hebrews 10.23, Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope that's Jesus without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds not giving up not forsaking not abandoning our own assembling together assembly the church is the assembly of God's people if you're online and you you feel like I'm calling you out I'm not I don't know where everyone else is in their lives. But I'm telling you, being the church requires physical proximity. It does. We have to be with each other. That's like being a part of a family, but all the members of the house live in separate homes across the United States. It doesn't function much like a family if they're not actually physically together. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. While some of us discount ourselves, others of us forget our place. Look at verse 18 with me. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But now God has placed them, placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which deem less honor, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and on our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed, put together the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that for this reason there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. While some of us tend to discount ourselves, others of us forget our place. And I've done this too. I don't get to choose my gifts. I can ask God for gifts, but he's the one that gives how he wills for each reason. And I don't get to choose my calling. Well, I wanna do this, I'm gifted in this. Remember, gifts and callings are not the same. They work off each other, but what has God actually called you to do? We need to know our place in his body. There are some people who are very talented and strong, they can walk on their hands. But on my worst day, I can outrun that person who can walk on their hands. Because hands and arms weren't meant to be legs. Legs and feet were. We gotta know our place. Because it's weird, it's uncomfortable, and even painful when one of the members tries to be someone or do something they're not. We gotta know our place. It's been said, stay in your lane. Why? Because we experience God's favor in his fellowship when we embrace the place and position Jesus has put us in. I'm still in student ministry. I never thought I'd be doing student ministry this long. That was not my plan, that's not what I wanted to do, but God saw fit to do so. Am I gonna embrace it, am I gonna walk in it, am I gonna do what he's called me to do? What you hear from his spirit also will not contradict what his word says. Some people are so hung up on the spirit of God that they start to do things that actually aren't consistent with his word. It's one and the same. Revelation 19.10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 2 Timothy 3.16-17, through 17, God's word is the inspiration. God's word was inspired by his spirit, so the spirit and the word don't contradict each other. They're in agreement. The Holy Spirit was in agreement with Jesus to fulfill the mission the Father sent him on. Look at verse 26 with me. We're going to wrap this up. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. When one body part aches, it radiates, and the whole rest of the body feels the pain too. When one part of the body is valued, Its effect builds up the rest in value and strength. Yesterday, when Cam and her volunteers were sharing things that they witnessed in the others about their strengths and what they brought to the table, what did it do? Man, people left the doors. I ran into someone. I ran into Jean Vanderpool at Costco, and I'm trying to get Costco shopping done. I'm in go mode, and she sees me, and she goes, oh, by the way, I just shared the gospel with someone, and please tell your wife Man, that meeting was great. Her training was awesome. And she started to tell me what she experienced. Why? Because it wasn't just my wife leading the show. It was a bunch of brothers and sisters who were functioning together. And they were validating and they were witnessing and affirming to each other each other's strengths. And how they benefit each other. And one of our sisters was listening to the Lord. She came up to Cam and said, I believe it's, if it's okay by you, Cam, I believe the Lord wants me to, every Sunday, take care of um, the nursery for service. If it's okay. That communicated humility to me because this person's not coming and going, look, Cam, God told me to, so I'm gonna do it. She deferred to her sister who God had called to lead that part of the ministry. But what did my wife do? She's like, absolutely. Take it away, sis. Run with that. Romans twelve nine. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And Ephesians 4.16, which causes the growth of Christ's body for the building up of itself in love. So when we embrace our position in Christ's body, his body is built up. When we submit to his command and function where he fits us, God is glorified. When God is glorified, the people of the world see and they are drawn to experience the glory of the fellowship of Christ's body. Two practical ways to apply what we've heard today. One, if you've been born again and you truly follow Jesus, then find out how and where you can be a part. Find out where he's calling you. And two, if you're hearing this and you've never given your life to Jesus but you're dying to experience relationship that encourages and builds you up, you're struggling to know who you are personally, and especially you're ready to start and accept a relationship personally to know and experience Jesus, then today Jesus is calling you out. He's calling you out to be a part of him and part of his people. To accept Jesus, we have to surrender ourselves to him to know who we are, we have to believe in who Jesus is first. Matthew 16, 24 through 25 teaches that. That's what Jesus said. You want to know who you are? You got to know who I am. You want love? You got to stop loving yourself and you got to love me. We're from him. He made us and knows us because he loves us.